where you can do all those things and so much more. Just grab a seat in the chair or the floor. Sit back, relax, recline. While she drops another casual line. You're tuned into Casually Molly with Molly and Boogie. Welcome back hey. to the Casually Molly podcast. I am your host, Molly Ambergie, and we make sure to usually interview different comedians, artists, and entertainers in St. Louis, as well as around the country. We've been off for the last couple of weeks, but to bring us back into action, king of St. Louis comedy, Chris Sear is joining us. Chris, how are you today? <laughs> no, not even close. <laughs> I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay. Uh, I, I don't know about that intro. Someone's going to take me out now. That's... That's, That's what all happens. right. Maybe it's Bill <laughs> <Hollander>. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Probably. How are you? Um, you know, I'm doing well. I'm sorry about our technical difficulties that we had earlier, uh, but we are back here ready to go. Uh, we're talking to Chris virtually. Chris, why don't you tell us a little bit what you've been up to these days? Nothing. I uh, sit in my living room. I age, um, baking like a potato that was left out too long. I don't know. Like, what is anybody doing? Um, <laughs> no. Fun. Like I'm just trying to rebook shows that I had booked last year. Um, get out on the road. I've been to a few clubs now. So, But locally, I just uh, did the new Garage series that Helium's been doing, and that was a lot of fun. So I don't know. I'm getting out and around. Like uh, While we're recording this, I have uh, History Schmistery, which is a show here where people like impersonate historical characters tonight that I haven't even prepared for, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, why don't you tell us a little bit about the Garage Series? How did that go and who did you work with? That was fun. I worked with, who did I work with? I worked with Brian Miller, uh, who's a comic from Minneapolis, who's doing all the Heliums right now. Uh, he's funny. He's been on the late show. Uh, he did, he had great sets. I had great sets. Uh, Michael Anthony was on it. He did well. It was really fun. Uh, it's in the side room at Helium, which is where their main bar is. So you go, you see a show, you got to get used to a little clinking of glasses because in the main room was Earthquake, who that was a much bigger show. Uh, we had yeah. 30 people, he had 300. So. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you gotta you gotta kinda deal with that, but you just roll with it. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, you know, no speaking problem. of you brought up a good point. I uh you know, having the main room next door, the garage show, you know, sometimes, you know, in comedy we work big rooms, we work smaller rooms. Do you feel like you just kind of, you know, as a comedian just kinda hit both rooms with the same kind of energy and feeling? Um, I know a lot of people will say like, Oh, there's three hundred, there's thirty in here. Uh do you like more intimate audiences or bigger audiences or are you just kind of down with any audience at this point <laughs> whatever yeah i mean i've done shows for two people and i've done shows for 500 you know there's a big difference and i'm not one of the guys who are like i'm going to do the same show for two people that i do for a full room because i think that's awkward to pretend that you know the room is packed so no it is different like i'm much more likely to talk to the audience much more likely to go off script in a smaller crowd uh, for a bigger crowd, I try not to deviate from my material too much because they laugh so damn much that it already throws me, so. Yeah. But, yeah, exactly. no, I treat it differently. I, I know a lot of people will be like, well, I give the same show for 10 people that I give for 1,000. I'm like, oh, that's funny because that seems fake to me. Like, I think you got to address that it's a different show for you. 
But these are fun. Mm -hmm. These are crowds of about 30. So yeah, they're smallish, but I mean, we've done worse. I've done Wednesday nights in clubs where there were, you know, maybe 12 people if we were lucky, but they still went on with the show because they had to sell some chicken tenders, you know? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. How exactly. comedy works. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. I feel like some of my favorite interactions have actually been some of the shows with two people. Um, so I can understand your feelings on that. Um, did you actually, speaking of favorite interactions, did you ever have an interaction with an audience member that was probably your all-time favorite and it kind of made the set work for you? <laughs> I, man, I don't know. Like sometimes they go so wrong, you only remember the negative ones or the weird ones. Uh, I've gotten a lot of good material out of the audience reacting to certain jokes and then having a little conversation with them. And then all of a sudden that ends up being the new way I work that joke. So that's happened. Like I do some stuff about my parents being younger than most people's parents where I've worked in the audience reactions to the joke. Uh, so that's always been good. Uh, but no, usually it's, it's terrible. Uh, when I interact with the audience, it's not a good sign. Like something's off the rails. Uh, it goes well, luckily, but it's not something you should ever want to do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, it's almost always something awkward for me though. It's like, someone getting overly drunk and uh trying to buy me a drink from the audience i've had that happen in a club um in a bar show once i had a woman walk up to the stage and try to undo my belt uh because what? it was a tall stage and my crotch was at head level so not like head level in a bad way but you know like just she could stand there <laughs> and undo my belt and that was interesting it was like oh this is what it feels like yeah. <laughs> but, was that in St. Louis? Uh, <laughs> yeah. That is, in a, oh, that is a bar show in St. Louis. Uh, no one runs a show out of that bar right now, so I won't call them out, but it was it was awkward. It was like a comedy and burlesque show, so the audience was already horny and drunk. Um, they had just seen like three naked people on stage, and then, well, like not real naked, like but burlesque naked. Um, and then I came up mm -hmm. to do jokes, and it's like, all right, well, this is going to go very well. And it's a, uh, the weirdest audience interaction is the number of people who sit in the front row at clubs and don't wear underwear. And that's usually when I've got to like, I'm way off script because I cannot not call attention to that. And it gets awkward fast. <laughs> like, people do well, weird stuff. Yeah, no, people definitely do weird stuff. You always have interesting stories. That's why I was like, I got to ask Chris. I got to find out what's going on. Uh, but speaking of calling attention to things, you actually run a podcast called Impolite Company and you produce I shows do. with Impolite Company. Uh, why don't you yeah. talk a little bit about how Impolite Company came to be? Uh, I mean, it started as a thing that it definitely isn't anymore. Uh, when I was a newer comic, you know, you're totally into edgy material. You want to be provoking, provocative. You want to like be on the cusp of political and sexual and like dirty material too. And I was pretentious enough to think all of that held like a high intellectual value that needed to be explored. So I created Impolite Company, the, sh the live show at the Crack Fox downtown St. Louis, which is a goth industrial burlesque karaoke punk uh, metal club is the best way to describe it. Like it does a little bit of everything. And uh, it's a super like sex positive place. Like there's pictures of naked people on the walls. Uh, so I did a show there where I was encouraging material uh, comics to come out 
work darker material. We wouldn't allow anybody to video them doing it. So you could take some chances, try to work a joke and make it better. Um, and if you messed up, there was nobody filming it and putting it on YouTube to call you out on it. So it's kind of a safe space to work that material. Uh, as I got older, I realized it's like good comics can do that wherever they're at, right? Like that's just the conceit of a newer comic thinking, oh, I've got to create a space where people can do this and become the next whoever is popular at the moment. Um, at that right. point, it was someone we don't talk about anymore. <laughs> but yeah, so now it's just turned into a fun show. Like our crowds run anywhere from 10 people to 50 people. So it's always a small, intimate crowd. It's a good space because even with the small crowd, it feels, feels crowded. Um, you can definitely do material that you don't get to do on your club shows sometimes, although I do mostly the same sets. Um, it's just, I'm a little more free there. But it's just a good time in downtown St. Louis. And there's not a lot of comedy that happens downtown. So it's going yeah. to be a little, a uh, little bit of a regular thing for some people. Yeah, absolutely. It was one of my favorite shows to do. And not just because you're sitting here on my podcast yeah. getting interviewed, but uh, I really enjoyed it. I also think you run an independent showcase very professionally. Um, you know, no, like you. I always know. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, you're always like very responsive about dates. You know exactly like what we're going to get paid, who's going to be on. You even sometimes what's kind of cool is you'll obviously showcase St. Louis comedians. But, you know, the one that I was on, you had a comedian in from Kansas City, Stephen Taylor. Mm -hmm. And I know you bring other comedians in from out of state. I know that producing a showcase can obviously be a responsibility. So I just wanted to ask just from a producing perspective, why take on producing your own show? Uh, well, in the beginning, it's vanity. Uh, you wanna do as many shows as possible. And the easiest way to get stage time is to run something, right? Uh, right. It was one of the reasons like I uh, sort of co-run I think JC does all the work on it now. I co-ran an open mic with JC Sabala here in St. Louis for a long time. And the main reason I did that was so I could definitely be on stage once a week and work material. And then when I had longer sets, I wanted to do this show because it was just easier. I could go, I could do 15 minutes, open the show. I could get my friends up and have an audience see a bunch of people they wouldn't normally see in clubs. And as mm -hmm. it kept going, it's just, I enjoy watching the show. So it was once a month now where I know there'll be a lineup I like. I can go out, I can hang out, I can watch my friends do comedy, I can watch people come through do comedy and have a good time. And we do karaoke after, and I'm a big ham, so I, I like that. Yes. yes. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a, I like the show. It's grown um, in who I'm able to book because we've had so many successful shows. I pay comics a flat fee for doing it. And I pay, I think about club rate, if not a little better, but it also mm -hmm. means if the way I do it, if uh, we have a light crowd one week and a heavy crowd the next week, all the comics on both shows got paid the same amount. So you don't, I don't require comics like bring people or go out and over promote the show. That's my job as the person who puts the show together. So it's just been fun. Yes. When I was in the beginning, I had people uh, from other parts of the country tell me it was just not enough money to come in and do the show, which I agree, like you should, it's a pass through. If I think you're in the area, come through and do it. But now I have people from other parts of the country asking to do the show. And I, that, mm -hmm. that's fun to me, right? Like, and I never begrudged anybody. It was, it's a small show in South St. Louis. 
or uh, downtown St. Louis. Uh, so right. I don't think you should travel from New York just to do it. But yeah, it's nice to know that everybody wants to do it when they pass through. <laughs> Exactly. And that's a, it's a great show to pop on. The audience always has a great turnout. Um, you know, speaking of people passing through and traveling, you have definitely, I've seen, been traveling more to different parts of the country doing shows. When did you feel in your career, you were like, this is a time for me, I've been working, because I, I say you're the king of comedy in St. Louis because you passed on uh, St. Louis and Independent comedy to me to run with the Hill right. Hollander and Sam Lyons. Greatly appreciate it. Very honored. And um, I remember when I first started doing comedy, I looked up to you a lot because, you know, you were running all of these um, great vessels to showcase the comedy in St. Louis. Um, you even put a press release for a show I was running once. And now I love that you've progressed into traveling and doing, you know, shows around different parts of the country. When did you feel you were like, yes, I feel comfortable in my material to start traveling and sharing with different parts of the, uh, the area of the U.S.? My third open mic. Oh <laughs> uh, man, you're so dumb when you start out. Like you're like, all right, well I did this. I need to go to this club in Cincinnati and do a set. They should have me. Um, so no, there's always been that conceit of I can be on the road. Uh, now I just get paid for it. Like you know, your first three or four years, you're out there. You drive a lot of miles for no money. Right? Like mm -hmm. you go out, you do open mics in other cities at first because you're not good enough to pay to do comedy. I don't care who you are. Um, there's probably somebody locally that's way better that could use the stage time. So you go, you do it for free. You get known by the club owners and the other comics in the room. And then you do that for a couple of years and you put a lot of miles on your car for no reward other than crowd appreciation, hopefully. And eventually you start hosting at other clubs and you do that and you start featuring. So there was never a moment where I was like, all right, well, I'm ready to get paid by a club. It was just kind of a progressive thing. Uh, and mm -hmm. a lot of humbling, like, right. You got You start off very in yourself, uh, thinking you're great and you need to be humbled. And that's what the road is for. Like you go out, you do a couple of things, you call it a tour, even though you're just doing open mics across uh, the Midwest. And uh, right. you get humbled by people who call you out on that. And you're like, all right, well, let me see what real work's like. <laughs> exactly, so, exactly. Yeah, and uh, it was just nice. Like, I did. I used to run a lot of shows locally. I ran too many. I was spread too thin. Um, and that kind of burned me out. So cutting it back to one or two shows that I run and then getting out on the road where all I'm responsible for is showing up and doing the material was a whole different experience. Um, Good. The other thing I wanted to ask you, you know, you have produced a bunch of shows. Did you have, other than obviously the Crackbox in downtown St. Louis, was there another mm -hmm. venue that you really appreciated the staff and working with? I know you've had Nine Mile Garden. I know you've got other places, sure. but was there just something memorable to you in our St. Louis area or beyond that you were like, this is a great venue. I'm glad I chose it. And why did you feel that was a good choice for you? Sure. Uh, one of my favorite things to do are non-stand-up shows. Um, mm -hmm. Hold on, I'm going to cough for a second. <laughs> <clears throat> Casually <Excuse> coughing. <laughs> right? Um, yeah, one of my favorite things to do are non-stand-up shows, something that's not very traditional. And at the Heavy Anchor, I ran a series before COVID, and I haven't thought about if we're going to do it again, but it was called the, uh, the whole thing was just stupid. It was the Hunter S. Thompson High School 
whatever came after, right? Um, so we did the Hunter S. Thompson High School presents a debate between future dictators of the world, where I just had other comics come in and uh, they would create a character who was running for emperor of the world, basically. And it was just ridiculous. And at the time, funny, because we didn't think there were any more dictators left in the world, maybe. But <laughs> a little prophetic. <laughs> right. Um, we did uh, the Hunter S. Thompson High School class president election, where it was a debate between adults pretending they were high school students running for class president. Just different things. And uh, that's fun. We did them at the Heavy Anchor, though. And the Heavy Anchor is just a joy to work for. Jody and Joshua, they're running great, great venue. They're always helpful. Um, they're supportive of the local art scene, which I think comedy is a part of. I know that's pretentious to call comedy an art, but whatever. I don't care. Yeah. Most artists can't beat me up, so I'm going to call it an art. Yeah. A bunch I of skinny people with paintbrushes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it is. Yeah. I mean, I worked in theater. Uh, the work I do to prepare for comedy is just as much work as I prepared when I was writing plays. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I, mean, I think I that's how you and I connect, too. Yeah. yeah, theater is definitely, uh -huh. it definitely prepares you for comedy. Um, I if You brought up an interesting point about how you're like, I feel like I do the same amount of work in like theater that I or in comedy that I did for theater. Because I had somebody say that once. They were like, well, it's just you on stage. Like, how much work? does it have to be right. <laughs> and i'm like of course and it's a ton of work uh, do you have a preparation style chris here what's the secret to killing it on stage each and every time <laughs> uh i'll let you know when i get to the point where i kill on stage every time that would be great. Uh, i aspire to that i kill occasionally and mostly do an adequate job is how i describe it uh you can watch red like words if you want to see somebody kill every time <laughs> Um, I don't have a, like a ritual anymore. You know, when I was brand new, it was, oh, I've got a show where I'm doing 10 minutes tonight on a Sunday. I better go somewhere at 1 p.m. and just get in the zone all day and listen to a Spotify playlist for that 10 minute set at 8 p.m. Um, that was terrible. I hated that I was that person now. <laughs> um, no, I honestly... My thing is just be professional. That's how I get ready. I write material. I work it um, when I go to open mics. I'm lazy about open mics now because I run my own show and I can do my own stuff up top and work new material. Um, but I write material. I work it constantly. And uh, it's a million little adjustments to a joke I tell every time. It tweaks it a little until it gets to a point where I'll do it the same way most of the time. Um, so there's no ritual. Like I get to the show early, uh, at least an hour, half hour. Um, I meet the headliner. I make sure that there's nothing I do that they're going to do. So it's not too repetitive. And then I go out on stage. I try not to get nervous. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And how long have you been doing comedy? Uh, eight years. Yeah. So eight not years. super long. Yeah. Still new. Like anytime I say, oh, back when I was new, I'm still new. This is like, you learn something every day still. Um, I did some shows in Wichita with uh, Greg Warren and Tim Convey. And uh, mm -hmm. if you'd ever get to do a show with Greg Warren, like you're gonna learn a ton of stuff right then. And that'll teach you how new you still are, so. <laughs> 
Yeah. Well, I think that's a really, and I think that's why you are successful, Chris. Um, I know you, you always say never to compliment you, but for this podcast, I have to. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, that's fair. Chris, I'll yeah. let it go. You know, fair. Um, but why I say that is, I think that's such great. I usually say, what casual advice would you give? But I think that is the best casual advice you can give is like having humility. Because I feel like that happens yeah. a lot, right? You're like, oh, I'm at the point in my career. I'm doing really great. I'm, I'm hosting. I'm doing all this stuff. Now I'm featuring. Oh, yeah. And you work with a great headliner and you're like, oh, that's right. I still have so much more <laughs> to do. Right. Yes. It's an easy trap to fall into, though. Like, and I've been that guy. Like, I have been the guy who's like, "Oh, but I do all this stuff. How come I'm not getting booked for more time in your stupid basement club, right?" <laughs> and I've been that guy. And I've had a club booker go, "All right, hold on, back up. I'm still gonna book you in my club, but we need to talk about your attitude." <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, and uh, you're gonna do it. Enough people are gonna tell you you're good at something that you're gonna start believing it, and. Uh, it's good for you to be knocked down a peg or two occasionally. I don't know. Absolutely. My goal Absolutely. is to just not be an asshole. I mean, can I say asshole? I don't know. Um, yeah, you're my goal fine. is not to be a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. That and have no chat room dedicated to talking about how I am off stage. Those are my two goals. <laughs> right, exactly. I love that. <laughs> Um, I know about I, your private Facebook groups. I don't want to be a subject of one. <laughs> right. Please don't. Not. Yeah. I know. You're also, I love when and, you're like, not trying to be a cop, but. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I always tell people, I don't know anything. Here are the mistakes I made. Uh, don't make those. <laughs> so, right. But I mean, I'm also not going to tell you what to do. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you're fine. I love that. I'm not going to tell you what to do. Um, what I do ask, and I mentioned this a little bit earlier, you gave some great casual advice, but before we head out today, what mm -hmm. is some casual advice? Like you said, you had mentioned, you know, what mistakes you've made that you would tell yourself, you know, starting off in comedy you would want to make sooner, uh, that you would probably apply to your comedy career that people should know about. So what mistakes I made early that they should know about to look forward to? <laughs> to look forward to oh. in the future. <laughs> yeah, to look forward to making. You'll make them. Uh, you know, when I, my first month of comedy, I bought, Rob Durham's a local comic uh, who headlines the Funny Bone here a lot. And he wrote a book of advice for comedy. People give him a lot of shit for it. But it's a really good book. Like, you should at least read the first half, which is, if you don't care about, like, what life is like a comic, the first half is just mistakes everybody makes when they're starting out. And I read it, and I saw all the mistakes in there, and I still made every single one of them after knowing what they were. So I think the biggest thing is to be easy on yourself. You're gonna have a bunch of shitty shows. You're gonna do terrible. You're gonna have friends come out when you're like brand new and they're gonna see you do it and they're gonna be like, oh, you're not that good at that. Why did I come out and see it? And they're not gonna come see you again. Your friends are a terrible audience. But you just keep plugging away. Yeah, I don't know. Every time you do something stupid, go do something nice for someone uh, to make yourself feel a little bit better and move forward. That's it. Uh, and if you get eight years and no one's booking you for anything, quit. <laughs> <laughs> you're never going to feel better. It's not that you're not good. It's just, it's never going to feel better. <laughs> right. I don't right. know. I get booked and it's still just a con. like, you know, there are two wolves inside every comic. It's like, I'm great enough. Everyone should listen to every word I say. And also I'm insecure enough. Why aren't more people listening to what I say? 
so just deal with it. Go to therapy. Yeah. Yes. Right. Exactly. Go to therapy. Deal with it. Uh, yeah. Comedy can be a That's hard road. That's terrible advice. I just realized. Well, you know oh, what it's like. You you sit around yeah. and you think it's like this is where I should be, and you're like, no, it's been eight years. This is where I should be right now, where I'm at, not where I'm looking forward to. It's like, mm -hmm. yeah. Living but you need to, you need to be smacked around. <laughs> <laughs> not literally. Humility tank. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, uh, well, Chris, performers I are the worst. Oh yeah, no, go ahead. Sorry, I was going to say I appreciate your time, but if you yeah, have any other no problems, <laughs> that's it. No, I'll talk forever. That's good. You should always just come in with a all right. Well, uh, thanks for coming. <laughs> no, I would say you didn't realize this was live, right? <laughs> Don't worry. That's why we always pre-record these things. <laughs> it's all good. good. Uh, you're like, good. Thank God. Um, listen, <laughs> if you want to see more of Chris, Chris, where can we see you perform next? You said history, mystery. Yeah, that's tonight. So I don't know how long it takes for you to put these up. But if you put this up in the next four hours, um, I'm Orson Welles on history, mystery this month. Um, okay. So that's going to be interesting. I it's hard to do history mystery because I have to pick someone who's historical, cool, but still fat, and uh, so I'm running out of characters. Um, but then the third Friday of every month at the Crack Fox in downtown St. Louis, employee company. We've got some good lineups coming up. Uh, I think I don't have a headliner for next month because of scheduling conflicts, which I thought I did. That's September, but in October. I have Neil Rubenstein coming from New York, who actually now it's Oklahoma. I don't get to call him a New Yorker anymore. He moved. But he's coming in, and he's hilarious, and uh, he's the headliner that night. And I booked a good show around him, so. Cool. Uh, you might have to listen to me for 10 minutes, but, you know, that there's worse things. I'm pretty damn good at this. So. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Killing it. <laughs> yes, be humble, but also, I'm, I'm really good. I don't know. I'm, I'm actually like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I appreciate your impolite company. Um, if you would like to catch any other episodes, please listen to the Casually Molly podcast on all streaming platforms, including YouTube. Um, and also leave us a review. If you liked a certain episode, just let us know and we'll keep booking some more guests in the same vein and topic. Uh, Chris, now that we're casually done with our episode, what are you going to casually do now? Oh, I don't know. In like 15 minutes, I have to train a bunch of uh, white collar workers how to use a goddamn computer. Um, so that's fun. <laughs> I don't know. They're all very highly paid individuals. I don't care if they see this. I'm like, you should know how to use a computer. Uh, it's 2021. How do you have a job? I don't know. Maybe they're like 60. Maybe that's the problem. Uh, whatever. <laughs> I have a day job. If you're ever thinking I'm really killing it, just remember, I have a day job. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, you get an Instacart delivery pretty soon. Am I wrong? Uh, it already came. I surprised my dog wasn't crazier than he was. No, there's uh, five pounds of chicken breast, four bags of mixed uh, vegetables, some vanilla yogurt, and some bran just sitting on my porch for this entire interview. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it's still healthy. I don't, I don't know. I mean, there's chicken safe. American chicken has no diseases in it. It's fine. We... we Bread them all out. There's no more botulism. 
<laughs> I love that you had food on your porch and I have hot cookies in my car that I meant to bring in. Oh. That we had. Uh, well, they're we still the hot. <laughs> they're, still, they're still hot. They were in celebration. So now I'm going to celebrate that we actually got through yeah. our technical difficulties. Yeah. Logan's been the best. Shout out to Logan. <laughs> hey, Logan. Good job. Hey, Logan. Good job. Uh, we made it happen. It is always good to see you. And I, you know, I just yeah. hope to see you soon, dude, outside of the Casually Molly podcast. So definitely. Well, I'll come by for some cookies. That'd be good. Unless you <laughs> cooked like, them in the car. Since I cooked them in the car, they're apparently good enough for Chris Sears. So yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh, Chris, easy well, to please. You. Yeah, you are easy to please. That is one thing I really do love about you. You are the easiest. Speaking before we go, because I know you have to train. Um, I loved when we did that show together over at the Gaslight Theater that Yale Hollander hosted. Oh, yeah. And Chris goes, do you want to share, what was that ice cream brownie thing that you ordered? Well, it was supposed to be a brownie, uh, but what it was was a bowl of half-melted ice cream on top of a <laughs> small brownie inside of something, <laughs> which was not really cooked all the way through. So it was like a bunch of melted ice cream on top of brownie. This is terrible. It's a great place to eat normally, probably. Yes. But um, yeah, it was, it was really a bowl of melted ice cream on top of brownie batter. And uh, yeah. yeah, I took two bites and I tried to give it away to everybody and nobody wanted it afterwards. It's like, <laughs> well, I get it. I get I it. I wouldn't eat after me either. You took some. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> yeah. But you were also drinking a giant glass of whiskey. So your judgment was impaired by then. <laughs> I was like, this seems like a good idea. I mean, if Chris Sear, <laughs> the king of comedy in St. Louis, Missouri, oh, is telling me to have some ice cream <laughs> on a brownie. That's melting. Maybe I'll do it. <laughs> yeah, and, but you eat ice cream before a show. Just be prepared that the first five minutes of your set are going to be you telling the audience you really have to use the bathroom. Uh, oh, I ran to the but, bathroom after. So yeah, no, oh, okay. don't. If you're lactose intolerant at all, don't eat ice cream before a show. There's advice. There's advice. Don't eat stuff that makes you shit your pants. That's that's great advice. That might be. Too I <laughs> This is crappy. I think that's the best note to end on. Casual advice. Yeah. Please don't do that. <laughs> oh, Chris. Well, I appreciate your time. We'll let you go do your Thank training. You. Uh, and, dude, I'll see you soon. Thank you for this great yeah. interview. Thanks for having me. It's a lot of fun. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. And have a great rest of your night or day whenever you're listening. <laughs> Bye, Chris. <laughs> Bye.